This is the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan, Japanese endurance racing covered by an American. Welcome back to the Nippon Taikyu Cosmopolitan, Japanese endurance racing covered by an American. Let's get right into it. What's going on with Toyota? Are they really sandbagging? The past two days, we had preseason testing at Fuji, the afternoon, and then the evening session. Good news for Toyota, uh, four of the cars in the afternoon session topped the timing sheets. Of course, programs vary. Uh, teams are doing a bunch of different stuff. So, of course, these don't reflect what it could in a practice weekend, which is my main worry. As we did also see, Toyota did also have new aero on four of the five cars. Three of the four did end up going to the top of the timing sheets, which could prove disprove my point of the fact that they aren't sandbagging. If you stayed around for the first episode of this for the preseason predictions, you may know I had a prediction that Toyota is not sandbagging at, and all of the Toyotas except both the Tom's cars will struggle, which I did say both the Tom's cars could fight for the title with both the Arta cars. As we did see, um, most of them were pretty good, but of course we did have Racing Project Bandoa finish P15 in preseason testing in the afternoon session at Fuji. The evening session uh, did see Nissan kind of top the timing sheets three out of the four, were the top four, with the second place car being the Racing Project Bandoa, which is the Toyota Supra. But if you look down, besides the both Tom's cars, which are P5 and P6, scroll all the way down, P13, P14 are Toyotas, which as we saw at Okoyama, most of the Toyotas were down in the bottom of the field, even one of the Tom's cars. Uh, we did see the other one of Giuliano Lacey and Yukio Sasahara up there in P6. I did say Toms will recover because it's Toms. We know Toms. They're good, uh, not in just Super GT, but also in Super Formula. They have the resources to recover. But uh, I'm still worried about them. I don't think they're still sandbagging. Um... As a lot of drivers have said, they think Toyota is sandbagging. They're telling their customer teams to sandbag. Their defense is that they could be paying the teams. A lot of these guys, of course, are customer teams. The customer teams can take any of the money they want. I mean, if you're a factory team, you don't have to worry about that. Or teams like Tom's. But as I mentioned, the second car, that second car was towards the bottom. Every single day of preseason testing at Okoyama. They did look a little bit better, and that could be because of the new arrow. So, of course, you have a defense that um, they struggled at the beginning at Okoyama during preseason testing, but then with the new arrow, they were looking better because they were one of both their cars had the new arrow, two out of the four cars. Uh, the arrow does also look legal, um, few teams complaining, but it does look to be in the rule books. So, what do I think about Toyota this season? What will they be able to do? I think most of the teams will finish bottom of the table, like I have said. Toms will fight for the title. But will those bottom place Toyota teams be able to recover? We do have the ballast system, which can help them recover to get to the top of the field. But thing is, I think it'll be too late. Um, so... 
I really think those bottom placing teams won't really be able to do anything until the end of the year. Um, Toms will continue where they are fighting for the title. That's really all I have on Toyota so far. Um, of course, I have some other stuff I want to cover. Nissan. Um, thing is, we Nissan's going to be kind of unpredictable this year. I'm talking about the Nismo team, not the um, customer teams. Because the customer teams all look like they're going to finish mid-pack. Um, they're keeping their exact same car from last year. Um... Nissan isn't going to change anything with the car. The Aero is staying exactly the same. Um, by the way, Honda, with their NSX, did install some Aero changes before the start of Okoyama preseason testing, which looked to be going pretty well for them. But the Nismo team still doesn't look good. I did predict that they're going to struggle yet again and really drop down, and it still looks like this has continued even though it's preseason testing, um, over four preseason testing sessions, they've not really been out there. I mean, the the highest they were is P3. And as we saw, most of the Nissans were really good in the wet weather. But besides that, they had P10 at Okoyama's second session. P1 was uh, the first session was P12. The afternoon session at Fuji was all the way down in P13. Um, they don't look good. It's definitely worrying to customer teams when the factory team doesn't even know what they're doing. Um, this won't affect, I think, any of the customer teams this year. But Nissan really has to think, what are they going to do? I mean, they're going to fall behind. When you only have three manufacturers, you need to stay on top, and you need to make sure you do it quickly. Um, of course, now we have the Aero Freeze, so it's too late for Nissan. I think their factory team will continue to struggle, not just this season, but potentially next season. And it's not like they really have a bad driver lineup. It's solid. They don't have pay drivers in there because they're a factory team. They have factory drivers. So this is definitely going to change up these uh, series for a next the next few years and could. I know this is a long shot, but Nissan could pull out because of the aero freeze. This could put them really far behind. And especially if the Nissan teams end up struggling this season, um, we could see a lot of these customer teams moving to different manufacturers we, of course, are seeing Honda uh, looking really, really solid. Uh, with Honda, a lot of these teams could move over there if they have the money. And thing is, like, these guys have the money. Impul has the money to switch to a new car. Um, so we could at least see them switch. And thing is, we don't have many Nissans on the grid. We have four. And while there is also condo racing, which I forgot to mention, along with Impul, they have the money and resources to switch cars. That would leave two on the grid, uh, the factory team. And then you would also have NDDP racing, which, I mean, if Nissan ends up struggling in a few years with their own car, um, they could just pull out of the series if they wanted to. And if they ended up with enough money, they could end up switching. But then, 
What is the FIA gonna do about this? What if Nissan does struggle for years to come? Uh, they could pull out. I mean, we do see another series where you do have one car, but that's because of regulation changes. Uh, this year in the World Endurance Championship, which I seem so far to use a lot of examples from them, but people know a lot about them, and thing is, a lot of these examples really work. Anyway, here's Corvette. They got rid of GT Pro because of the cost. Um, so they decided to merge them together since we only had three manufacturers. Um, Corvette's only one running one car in IMSA and the World Endurance Championship. But unlike Nissan, this isn't because the team is bad at all. Not even close. In IMSA, we had so many cars actually running the Corvette GTE before they switched to GT3s, which they ended up adapting the car to. But Nissan's very different. This shows that they could potentially be struggling and pull out of the series. Then we would have two manufacturers, which is not good. We could then see GT500 shrink until we have only top teams. Which sounds good, of course, having top teams like Tom's, Arta, Impol, Nakajima. But they would have to attract new manufacturers in the coming years. If the Nissan Nismo team continues to struggle and these customer teams get worried and they switch teams, we're down to two. But a lot of manufacturers could want to join. And who do I think those manufacturers could be? Let's first start with, of course, Nissan themselves. They could just switch the car. They could move to a different car, start researching a new car, and convince customer teams to come back. This could happen, or Nissan could end up just fully pulling out of the series, which is unlikely. Of course, as I'm mentioning, this is all a very extreme case. Um, I did also just want to add some stuff onto the fact that I have a few manufacturers that I think could join GT500 in the future. And number one is Mazda. Mazda, you have a Japanese manufacturer. You have one that has good cars that could go up to GT500 specifications. And even if they don't go to GT500 immediately, they could go to GT3. They could follow the JAF GT300 specifications to kind of just mess around, see what they think of it, or even go with a mother chassis car if they're very on the edge. The other one I see is the return of Subaru. Uh, as we know, they were dominant back in the 80s and 90s, uh, to the point that the top class ended up only being Subarus at one point. They know what they're doing, and they have, also like Mazda, a pretty good line of cars that could work out. Of course, they could do a partnership with somebody else. Now, on to my global manufacturers. Number one, Porsche. I mean, this is kind of obvious. Porsche wants to go into anything that exists. If there's lawnmower racing, they would probably make lawnmowers to go lawnmower racing. So I think, why not? Porsche could come back. They have all these good cars. They have big history, like winning Le Mans in the GTE category 
and the LMP1 category. They have a bunch of road cars that could move up to GT500 specifications, and with their new 992 car, they could bring that up. And if they wanted to, they could even start in GT300 uh, because they have FIA GT300 cars. Um, that could also help them develop the new 992 um, because this is a really new car. It just came out this year, started in uh, the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship. So they could use that to help develop the car more. The tracks um, are very varied with their layouts and what it suits. So I could, of course, see Nissan coming to the series. Another one is Corvette. I think with their GTE, they just retired that. But thing is, that's actually really, really close to GT500 specifications. Um, because a lot of the rules are with aero. And thing is, the Corvette C8R GTE really falls under that category. They'd have to make small changes. Thing is, they also made their GTE GT3 specifications in a year to fit the new IMSA rules. So the thing is, they have the resources, and if they're motivated enough, they could make a good car. On to my final one, which is Lexus. Lexus, I mean, it's it's Lexus. Um, they make big boy cars, which are thick. And as you know, uh, thick cars in GT500 with massive engines. Uh, and guess what Lexus does? Big cars with fat engines. So, I mean, we could, of course, see uh, Lexus pick up that extra spot and move up into GT500. As I said, th these are all kind of long-shot predictions because that defensive Nissan even pulls out, which honestly is unlikely this is preseason testing programs are different and nissan of course with the ballast system could of course start breaking up into the top but i still don't think they'll score a podium but if these customer teams um can put up good results they'll stay around and then nissan has time to turn their car around and perform better not much this weekend um we have a few more weeks until we start the season, which I'm really excited for, for race rundowns and, of course, my predictions update from the first ever episode. Next week, I will be talking more about drivers who I think can succeed a lot this season and ones that can really disappoint and maybe some guys who are really ready for their breakout season in GT500. And then the week after that, I'm going to talk more about my GT300 uh, predictions. And then we will go on to the start of the Super GT season. This is the Nippon Taiku Cosmopolitan Japanese Endurance Racing, covered by an American. See you all next week. <laughs>